When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome in. Another beautiful day. Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here in the Hubbard Studios and out at the Vikings facility uh, via the FaceTime is uh, Courtney Cronin. Hi, Courtney. Hello. Um, So last night, the Minnesota Vikings officially posted on Vikings.com. You can go look at this if you want to. Their unofficial depth chart. And uh, my first comment on this, Courtney, is unofficial is very much in air quotes because it looks like the exact depth chart almost to a T that I would have written out had they just said, hey, uh, Matthew, what do you think the depth chart is going to look like? And I said, okay, let me write it out. It would have kind of looked just like this. So I think it's unofficially official. Well, I think that we went into camp knowing that, A, there really weren't that many position battles. Like, outside of starting positions, there's, what, a couple depth positions um, that are kind of being flushed out right now. So backup three technique, um, figuring out who your number three, four, and five receiver is, which tight ends are going to be in succession behind Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. I mean, there's not all that much uh, that was up for grabs to begin with. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And taking a look at the way that they've laid this thing out, outside of like quarterback, just because – um, that doesn't really match up to the reps that we've seen in practice with Kyle Sloter over Jake Browning. But as you and I were talking about on the off-air a few minutes ago, doesn't really matter because both of us are not projecting either of them to be on the team. So the way it shapes out, I mean, this is for a team that really doesn't have a whole ton of intrigue and storylines going into camp because things are pretty much status quo at every position. This is ex- what you expect. So I wrote a question on our website, scorenorth.com, for each position. You can go read it and uh, all the analysis, because why not? Yesterday, we were out on the field trying to interview people, and it started to lightning. So we had to leave the field. It's like, what am I going to do tonight? I'm going to write about this unofficial depth chart. Um, so let's just start there. Do you think that 
Kyle Sloter or Jake Browning can make things interesting? That is my quarterback question because right now, Sean Mannion has this thing locked in. He can really throw the ball well, and he is the veteran. And even if Mike Zimmer said that that doesn't make a difference, that he's the veteran quarterback who's been with another team, he wasn't just with any old team. He was with the Los Angeles Rams. He won a backup job for Sean McVay. So there's a reason that he did. And, you know, we don't trust him in terms of winning a bunch of games if he has to go in. But from what we've seen in practice, it's not even close. Sean Mannion is number two. So can Sloter and Browning do enough in the preseason games to have a roster spot, or I think in Browning's case, to be on the practice squad? Yeah, I think it's the latter there where you keep two quarterbacks because, as we've talked about countless times before, you don't need three when there are other positions that have more pressing needs uh, for depth pieces. Like, if you get to your third quarterback, the season's over anyways. Like, so keep Jake Browning on the practice squad. You already paid him a lot of money to get him into camp, uh, you know, to begin with as a rookie in, back in rookie minicamp in May. So that's not something that I consider a big pressing need for them to fill out the quarterback room the same way they did last year with three different spots. But that being said, Sean Mannion, like, can he be your Case Keenum if Kirk Cousins does go down? I don't know. And nobody will know until they're in that situation. But it's been clear to me since the beginning that this is – this is Mannion's job to lose. Like he's a veteran, pre- he has a veteran presence. I mean, yeah, he hasn't played in a whole ton of games, but he, as you said, he did play for the Rams. He backed up Jared Goff for a few years, so he's in a position now where I don't, I don't know what it would take unless it's injury or something else. Like what it would take for him to lose this job. Do you think that Jake Browning is interesting enough to keep around? Because I, I think that I have seen him execute some plays on offense, but I'm not sure that the physical tools to play in the NFL are there, even as a backup quarterback. I mean, he just really does not have an NFL arm from the throws that we've seen. Uh, I think it would be a really tough task for him to just make even all the throws, right? That's what they always talk about when you come out in the draft. Can he make all the throws? Well, I don't think that Jake Browning can make that many of the throws in real full speed action, even against the third team, I mean, you're, you're seeing the ball kind of float out there and it takes him a little while to, you know, to, to like wind up to throw it down the field. I mean, it just doesn't look at all to me like a guy that you would see playing in NFL games unless there was an extreme emergency. I mean, I guess if they want to keep a third one, if they want to keep a guy on the practice squad, that's fine. But I look at it pretty much no different than Peter Pujols, who they had in last year. I think Browning is better than him, but not by such a wide gap that I would say, oh man, watch out for this kid. Yeah, I don't I don't think that there's any question that the difference between the way that Sean Mannion throws the ball is one side of the spectrum and, and the way that Kyle Sloter and uh, Jake Browning uh, are under when they're under center uh it's, it's just it's a much different presence like so why would you keep him on the practice squad well you already did guarantee him all that money i mean clearly they saw something in this kid to be able to bring him into camp to push kyle Sloter, um and you know really compete for that number two job and while i do think he has like a puncher's chance maybe even less than that like if i put Mannion at 90 percent chance right now that he's getting that job and then you put uh, you put Brownie at like 10% chance, like the odds are not in his favor whatsoever. 
but I just don't think that they're ready to part ways with him entirely after what they, you know, spent on him uh, right after the draft ended to bring him in to be part of this franchise. So what's the harm in, in giving him one of 10 practice squad spots? I don't think there's much. I think it put, you know, can help with scout team stuff during, during the fall uh, by keeping him on practice squad. And then maybe in a year you have him as your backup um, for, for Kirk Cousins going in next season. Who knows? I mean, it's not necessarily, um, we, I mean, you just don't really know if it's like the best option, but you know, of, of all of his options right now and all the options the Vikings have with the rest of their quarterbacks, I think it's fair to say that without question, you would keep, Jake Browning over Kyle Sloter. I mean, we've seen the way that Kyle Sloter has pr- practiced this year, and it hasn't been good. Now, will all of that change if he has one or two really good preseason games again? Maybe, probably, but I still think this is a two-headed quarterback room, and you don't need anything more than that. So, uh, Courtney, let's just assume that this goes the way that we think it's going to go, and Mannion is here, and Jake Browning is on the practice squad, or even if Kyle Sloter is number three, and they decide to keep him on the active roster, um, where do the Vikings rank in terms of all the backup quarterback situations in the NFL? SB Nation did a piece where they ranked them by tiers, and they did seven different tiers for whatever reason, and uh, they put Sean Mannion in the final tier. They put him in the seventh tier out of seven, which uh, might be a little on the aggressive side since ahead of him were guys like Nate Sudfeld and Josh Dobbs and someone named Gardner Minshew. Uh, so Gardner Minshew, I covered him in high school. I, I'm not sure that I would put um, guys like that quite ahead of Sean Mannion. I counted more like 10 or 11 uh, backup quarterbacks who are easily, decidedly, clearly, no question, better than Sean Mannion. And then I think after that, you're probably in the range of, well, who knows, right? I mean, just about anybody um, who's playing as a backup quarterback would be about as predictable as Sean Mannion, should he have to go in. Probably. Like, I think the Viking situation, and I, and I just always find it really interesting. Like, they've been asked multiple times about Sean Mannion's experience, um, you know, playing quarterback in the NFL, and like, does it have that much of a bearing on where he is? And I think everybody's basically said no. Um, even you know, Mike Zimmer yesterday was kind of like pushing that you know narrative to the side that oh, he's so experienced and he's you know going to be able to help build out the quarterback room. Like, yeah, I think that it's just it's a it's the best option of like a not so great bunch. And that's nothing against these guys. They just like, they're not, I don't think you can trust any of them to go in and win you several games. I mean, Case Keenum had been a lot of different places and had a lot more experience. I think than Mannion did by the time he got to Minnesota in 2017, but nobody would have expected him to be in the position where he was and and lead this team to an NFC championship game. And you just never really know. I don't think you can predict that being like, okay, if Kirk goes down, then you have somebody with like true experience. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. He started one NFL game in his career. What he's like been in, he's been in nine. Like it's not, it's not a whole big body of work, which if you don't have that, when you're looking at evaluating the backup quarterback position, I just think you have to go with the guy who has the NFL experience, even if you really don't think it means that much or matters. Because uh, I would take that over if you if somebody else doesn't have like the intangibles or even the tangible things like arm strength, like that has to be what you go with. 
Yeah, you're basically trying to project what any of these guys would look like if you had to start them for four games or something like that. Um, but you're right with it being very different from Case Keenum, who we were surprised to see um, you know, win as many games as he did. But when you factor in that they have two of the best receivers in the NFL and the number one defense and a great play caller at the time, it kind of makes sense from what he had done, especially with Houston, where he had a streak in which people thought that Keenum would be the starting quarterback in Houston for a long time and then fell off. And it was kind of like that only extended in Minnesota. And even even when his sort of hot streak started to fade a little bit and we questioned it and said, is he really going to win playoff games here with this team? Uh, you know, eventually we saw some of the shortcomings uh, come through, but Keenum is up in terms of when they got him, one of the best backups. I think we knew that even when they brought him in, it was like, okay, they're kind of righting the wrong um, when they had Sean Hill as their only option if Teddy Bridgewater went down to then have Case Keenum, and they decided just not to do that this year. So uh, let me move on to running backs. There aren't that many questions with running backs, except for whether Mike Boone makes the team. So do you think that they keep five players in the backfield with Delvin Cook, Madison, Amir Abdullah, Mike Boone, and C.J. Ham? I'm starting to lean towards four. Um, and the reason for that is maybe you keep an extra wide receiver at tight end. Uh, that's, you know, another, I, I thought they'd keep four. I think Mike Zimmer yesterday almost hinted, though, that maybe they would keep five. Like, just talking, I think he was asked about, like, how do you make roster decisions between whether you keep five wide receivers or five tight ends, something like that. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I think it would be a stretch to keep five tight ends. But back to, like, running back, we know C.J. Ham's going to be a big part of this offense. We've seen him in the, involved in the passing game. We've seen him involved, you know, throughout training camp practices quite a bit. Um, and the way it works with the halfback position, I mean, Alexander Madison is your clear-cut number two right now. It balances out really well with Dalvin Cook's skill set. They spent a third-round draft pick to get him here. Um, and Amir Abdullah to me is kind of like this year's Marcus Sherrill's where in a way it's kind of like, okay, he gets that running back spot just because of what he does on punt return and kick return. And it's interesting because he's listed as like first on punt and kick return when he hasn't done a whole ton of punt return. So clearly they see the value of him on special teams. But I think in the ways that Sherrill's didn't provide this at cornerback, I mean, Abdullah is a really good option for your change of pace back, your guy that you might want to bring in on certain passing downs. You know, we've seen him get catch balls out of the backfield. Um, I bet they will use him as a receiver from time to time. Uh, so that that's an interesting one to me. But outside of that, I mean, does that mean that Mike Boone ends up going to the practice squad? Maybe. Um, you know, they liked him enough to keep him around, so maybe they do see an opportunity there. And as we know, running backs tend to get worn down and get hurt. So there's an option there for him if, if he does go to the practice squad. But beyond that, um, I think it's pretty much a very clear-cut argument here that you have your one, two, and three, and, and obviously with C.J. Ham too, like, but that's all you need. Yeah, I, th- I think that um, there's a possibility if they cut Boone that somebody else picks him up because he's shown enough in preseason last year, and presumably if he's facing third teams, last year he was doing it against second teams and sometimes first teams and looking pretty good, um, that someone else might pick him up if they decide to let him go. I, I think that there is a... 
a decent chance that they decide to keep five in the backfield. Um, and one of the reasons just being that if you tried to use Boone situationally every once in a while, and that they're going to design things to use multiple running backs situationally. So if someone does get hurt, you want another guy to be able to fill in as opposed to just playing shorthanded. And Abdullah has looked good to me and has gotten a number of first-team reps, but I don't know how much is still there or if he is just going to be the special teams guy and if they could possibly want Boone to have some type of role. So he's, he's intriguing to me enough from the athletic perspective he really does have a special athletic profile that i would want to keep him but i mean if they decided not to because like you said there are some other positions that you might want to keep an extra person um i i think i would understand that but i think right now i would have him on my 53 and have them keeping five in the backfield i mean that's what i did initially like when i put my 53 out before training camp um but i've just been something's been pulling me in the other direction thinking just with like tight ends and with wide receivers that if they decide to go one more in that direction that they might subtract out of the backfield yeah but i could also see it going the way that i initially had it yeah i mean i I could definitely see it if he doesn't play well if he has a really good preseason then i think boone is definitely on the team and if he's just meh he's just okay then probably not. I th- one of the big differences between him and the other running backs is absolutely pass protection. That you could throw Madison in there. Sure. It looks like it, Cook is fantastic. He was one of the best pass protectors in the NFL last year, according to Pro Football Focus. And Abdullah is a really smart guy. He's really experienced. I think that they're afraid of having Mike Boone out there in any situation where he might have to pass protect, which kind of signals what you're going to do. And he would be kind of in a in case of emergency type of guy um but i maybe there's enough intrigue to be there so that's definitely the biggest question uh for running backs wide receivers the biggest question is probably all of the questions but um we've been talking about this a little bit courtney the laquan treadwell question like if nobody emerges he ends up on the team right yeah i mean that's the depth of this wide receiver group or lack thereof could technically like if you're gonna make a wager a fun wager on this like the smart thing to do would be somebody takes laquan treadwell somebody else takes field um from what i was told when things were not looking good for like the young wide receivers when they couldn't um you know they couldn't get it together they were running the wrong routes lining up in the wrong place um a lot of that had to do i just think with uh you know the rookies and uh, Jordan Taylor, like th- that he was absolutely part of it. He wasn't lining up in the right spot. So that put Laquan Treadwell as what, from what I was told that he was right behind Chad Beebe. Now, does he deserve to be there? Probably not, but the depth of this team uh, at the position that, that he plays might help him out, which I think is kind of an unfair thing just for, you know, this passing game and this offense, but who knows now? Like we saw everybody, but Treadwell, do something big on Saturday in mm-hmm. the night practice. And now that we have, you know, on the horizon, a preseason game where Mike Zimmer did say, like, they're not going to put too much stock in New Orleans, like, just go out there and play football. Like, if Treadwell doesn't show up in these first three preseason games, it's going to be too little too late. And if you have guys like Brandon Zilstra, BC Johnson, um, you know, Dylan Mitchell, and I think Mike Zimmer even mentioned Alexander Hollins, who before – the night scrim night practice on Saturday was a, a no name commodity. 
mean, you have guys like that who are going to surpass him potentially. Uh, I think we're looking at a different depth chart two weeks from now. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things for Friday night that is at the very top of the list is to see who can emerge here. Um, but when we look at the um, depth chart, it's just if nobody does, I think he ends up making the team even if they didn't want him to because they know at very least he has NFL experience. And even though he struggled, I don't think last year the struggle was so much with Laquan Treadwell not lining up correctly or running as good of route depths. I think it was just he was not, he was not open. He dropped key passes. Um, you know, stuff that just shouldn't happen for a guy with NFL experience. So, you know, they might look at it as he's been one of the worst receivers in the NFL, and even if you keep B.C. Johnson, it couldn't be worse than what it was. And and I would tend to look at it that way. It's just somebody's going to have to step up and take it, I think. Now, Yeah, um, and I mean, with, with one note on that, like, the guy I want to see something from and see what he's made of is Jordan Taylor. I mean, yeah. he's six five. He's the biggest receiver that they have, um, and he hasn't done anything yep. to show. I mean, yes, he's coming off, I think, the hip surgery, so maybe he's been a little bit slow because of that. But he's done nothing to impress his coaching staff. He did, you know, maybe that comes in this first preseason game, depending on how much run he gets. But that could be somebody who I know going into camp was kind of a, a preseason favorite, maybe for the number three job, which Chad Beebe's running away with at the moment. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not solid for him. I mean, they could potentially go Thielen Diggs, Beebe, keep two, the two seventh round receivers, and then maybe Treadwell, and then Taylor's looking like he's going to be cut. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that this thing could go. It's just now, what do they want out of roles four, five, and potentially six? I think that that's where they have to look here because, to me, Jordan Taylor has been surpassed by just about everybody yep. uh, except Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was never really buying the Jordan Taylor is going to be the number three wide receiver thing. And Well, he, he's a Coops guy. That's why he's here, he, right? He is, a, he is a Coops guy. And if they do ask what would Gary do, maybe they come up with just keep his guy. But if he's not lining up correctly, like that would be the one thing that he'd have going for him aside from height. And I just don't believe in height. Like Randy Moss was tall. Kelvin Johnson was tall. Nobody else. I mean, like T.O., but T.O. What goes at like 6'4". So, I mean, it was insanely muscular. Like, there's very few wide receivers who are above 6'3", who have ever even been good. So somebody comes in with height, and you go, oh, well, this guy's got that height advantage. Well, usually they're too slow to get open, and their feet aren't quick enough and choppy enough to get open. And that's the case with Jordan Taylor. When he does one-on-ones with corners, he can't get separation at all. Some of the younger receivers could get separation, and then they'll do something like drop the ball, uh, like we saw BC Johnson do yesterday on a number of occasions. But uh, just I've just never really been buying the Jordan Taylor thing. Uh, you're right about Chad Beebe being the clear-cut number three. That's where he is on the depth chart. And the guy with some intrigue here who's over Brandon Zilstra, BC Johnson, Dylan Mitchell, all those guys, is Jeff Bidette, who has all of a sudden become interesting. Yeah, I mean, he had a great... Uh, that catch that was a little weird at the end. I'm not really sure what he did uh, by, uh, what was he, at the five-yard line? Uh, but, I mean, like, if the Vikings want a speed option, I think he presents them with a really unique case. Maybe he's a dark horse for, like, the four, five, or six spot yep. uh, receiver. 
his thing's going to be staying healthy. I mean, he's had those hamstring injuries, and, and he nursed the one that cost him four days of camp. And I think it's a good thing for him to have had uh, the big catch and, and, you know, a good a good performance last Saturday in the night practice. Um, him and Alexander Hollins have a really similar uh, skill set, and I think Mike Zimmer was alluding to Hollins being a speed guy too. So those two, I think that'll be a really interesting competition to see if either of them can make the roster because, you know, the whole true, the whole vertical threat thing, whether you want to believe it or not, I mean, it is good to have a speed guy in there. I mean, it's, just, it's another weapon for Kirk. It's another option if you guys if they decide to empty out the backfield um, and use 20 personnel and just, you know, go five wide. Okay, uh, when we come back, I think, Courtney, that I have figured out who could be a surprise cut if things don't go really well in the preseason game. So we're going to take a break. Courtney is out at the... Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin via the FaceTime is out at uh, the Vikings facility. If you missed any of our first segment where we broke down much of the offense or any of our shows, feel free to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Just type in Purple Daily. And also, if you want to uh, read my article, Breaking Down the Unofficial Depth Chart, because that's where we're at in camp, um, go to scorenorth.com. Also, my feature on CJ Ham and his role in the offense. So we looked at the quarterbacks, the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends. Um, we've talked about quite a bit, and I don't have a huge question on the tight ends, Courtney. I don't know if you do. Will they keep four, I guess? Does David Morgan come Come back at all because the only question what about David Morgan because I'm starting to get the vibe that he's not going to be back anytime soon I mean we just saw him last week go out onto the rehab field to do some work during practice and yesterday he was in the weight room uh doing some doing some rehab in there the knee injury that he had last year is an interesting one um and I'm not sure if there's anything else that's holding him back right now but if he doesn't get out there at some point soon, he's going to get passed up because look at the guys that they have behind Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr. I mean, the fact that Tyler Conklin has had such a good camp to me means he's a lock. Yep, um, I agree. And if I'm putting four on there, I'm putting Brandon Dillon over Cole Hikatini right now and David Morgan because he had that massive catch. Uh, like if he can keep doing the stuff that he did in training camp practice on Monday, like that's going to bode well for him to be a fourth tight end on this roster. I just need to see, I need to I guess scout out some of the preseason tape. Can he block? <laughs> is, is, yes. No, know? I agree. Yeah. And that, that's uh, all I have to say about the tight end. Yeah, and uh, I think Dylan would be the guy who ends up on the practice squad more likely than not. Um, if we were doing it right now and David Morgan ends up on the injured list because, uh, you know, he just hasn't even started putting pads on or getting out there in practices. And uh, once we get to approaching the first preseason game, if you haven't even practiced, it becomes 
pretty unlikely that you're just going to snap your fingers and get out there week one. I mean, for a superstar player, that might work. You know, they might push it or something. But for a backup tight end, probably not. And it's got to be a major concern. They kept saying or we kept hearing, oh, you know, that knee injury, it's not that bad or whatever. Like, well, it seems like it is that bad. Yeah, Yeah, not a lot. And if you miss time now, can you really catch up to where guys, I mean, you're not catching up to Tyler Conklin. He right. looked really good. Like I, I'm willing to go back um, and find anything not negative. I never said anything negative about Tyler Conklin, but I just was not sold on him at all last year. Apologize, um, apologize I'll, to Tyler I'll Conklin. Now, I mean, we always knew we could catch the ball, and we knew he was athletic. Um, I remember like going back to like rookie camp last year and watching him make this ungodly uh, sideline catch. Like it was, you know, just like it was like a just the way he hauled it in. I was like, okay, this guy has a chance to be something special. And then we never saw him since then, except in the Miami game uh, when he caught that big pass. I think it was on third down, and then got the wind knocked out of him. So I'm really actually intrigued uh, to see what they're able to do in the passing game with Tyler Conklin. And now they want to use multiple tight end sets. I mean. What's that going to be? Is it going to be an Irv Smith? Like, what do you, if you use Tyler Conklin and Irv Smith Jr., if Kyle Rudolph's not in uh, on a particularly set, particular set of downs, like, what does that do for the offense? That could actually be a really, really uh, intriguing option for Kirk Cousins if he has two very athletic and, and, you know, relatively quick tight ends out there. It would be nice for Kyle Rudolph, who has missed the last couple days of practice, by the way, uh, to be able to play 75% of snaps instead of playing 95% of snaps. I mean, you're talking about a guy, even though he denies this, uh, who is getting older, right? He'll he'll tell you, oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm only 29, but yeah, well, that's a lot of miles on the NFL body when you're a guy who's six foot six and 270 pounds uh, at the tight end position. That's a lot of punishment there. And uh, you know, I think with Rudolph that we've seen him wear down at times. So. Um, it's probably better. I think back to 2017 where he had that injury toward the end of the year and was trying to play through it. Um, it would be uh, beneficial to them if they could have other guys who could rotate in and keep him fresh. Um, but let me give you, I teased before the break, the guy who I think could be the surprise cut and make us all go, oh, what happened there? Uh, it's Drew Samia. The fourth round draft pick out of Oklahoma. Right now, he is listed behind Danny Isadora on the unofficial depth chart. I totally agree with that from what we've seen in training camp. I haven't thought that uh, Samia has looked very good at all. And if we see him playing with the third team, I mean, we could have a Willie Beavers situation here where they just <laughs> swing and miss with a fourth That's- round pick. That was I literally just pulled up Willie Beaver's uh, <laughs> Wikipedia page as you were mentioning that because it wasn't. Correct me if I'm wrong because I cannot find this. Um, wasn't he the highest draft pick that had ever been cut, uh, either by the Vikings or? He was the highest that year, I think. Highest that year. Yeah. Like in like in camp, that is. Um, man, I have. You know, I hope that he proves a lot of people wrong because I mean, I thought given what they talked about, just this versatility between, you know, he can play guard spots, he can play a little bit of right tackle, he gives you an option there, he's really athletic, he's a zone scheme fit, et cetera, et cetera. I thought realistically he could push Josh Klein, who is a lower tier starter, um, for the right starting right guard spot. Nope, I was wrong. <laughs> um, that was that was my bold hot take. 
going into training camp, and that one is definitely dead in the water at the moment. I have really been unimpressed, and I don't know what it is. Um, he just has not done anything to show that he's NFL ready right now. Well, and it is surprising because uh, our offensive line analyst, Brandon Thorne, really liked what he saw from Samia coming out and thought, well, the Vikings got a pretty good steal here in the fourth round of somebody who dropped down a little bit. But um, I've just noticed him going up against NFL guys that the power seems to be a problem for him. Now, if we want to get super serious on it, um, he just seems to be uh, getting pushed up like the pad level is just not correct it seems that's the best i can do for you uh, as much as i want to further break down the fourth round guard who hasn't played well uh, it's it's something to watch though because that's going to be if they have to cut him it's going to be a bad look but right now i've got dakota dozier brett jones and danny isadora all ahead of Drew Samia by quite a bit. And then, you know, you've got Rashad Hill as a swing tackle. If Avian Collins isn't coming back as a backup tackle, then they're going to have to sign somebody because they don't have yeah. anybody else who can kick out and play tackle like your former best friend Jeremiah Searles used to be able to. I mean, that is very true. And I asked Mike Zimmer just about the numbers game yesterday. Like when I'm looking at the tackle depth chart right now, Collins, who we don't know, I asked Zimmer if he's going to come back soon, if he anticipates him coming back soon, was the word I used. He's like, I anticipate him coming back. So we don't know what – he left out soon, so that could be I, – I can anticipate him coming back to play football at some point in his career. <laughs> um, right. So if you take him out of the mix right now, Storm Norton is your backup left tackle behind Riley Reef. Okay, he's not going to be on the team. Um Rashad Hill, and I, I know that they like Ole Udo, their six-round pick out of Elon, um, but he's still raw. I mean, he's got power, and he's just a big dude, but that's not somebody that you're going to be pl- wanting to play in games anytime right. soon. So they have no tackle depth right now, and that is a very scary spot to be in because if Brian O'Neill or Riley Reef go down, good luck. Um, Rashad Hill can play you – a handful of games in a season and, and not mess it up and, and be in a good sp- and keep you in a good spot. But the longer you have to rely on him, I think the worse situation you're in. So I think they almost kind of went like too far. Uh, one side, remember, like you know, they this, they decided to sign all of these uh, reserve linemen this off season with Dakota Dozier. Uh, you know, behind. I mean, after they got Brett Jones, I think he was the next one. Um, they had. You know, Drew Samia that they drafted, um, John Kenoy, Tyler Kins, Catalina, like these dudes who are probably not going to make the team um, are just bodies right now. And they don't have those bodies at the tackle position. So it's not a really comfortable place for the Vikings to be in. I will say of all the guys that we mentioned that I probably was writing off a little bit too much uh, going into camp, but who has impressed me, and especially in one-on-ones yesterday, is Danny Isadora. Yeah, he does um, look better. Yep, he, he looks really good. He, his pad level is good. I think he's playing um, at a much better, I get you know, just a much better level than than we've seen from him. I have almost kind of felt like there was this lack of urgency with him mm-hmm. uh, the last few years that he's been here since he was drafted in seventeen, and he just didn't look good. Um, I think he's got a really good spot to make this roster. I'd probably put him as my favorite uh, backup guard right now. So he's listed on the depth chart behind Josh Klein, but you know, is Dakota Dozier really a proven asset at left guard, or would you maybe want to you know try Isidore over there too? 
Here's the um, the key question, though, with this offensive line and what we've seen from the backups is if someone goes down at any position, how bleeped are you would be the question. Because last year it was super bleeped. I mean, it was it, it, we knew it right from the very beginning. When Nick Easton went down, I think we all wrote big stories like, Oh my God, Nick Easton went down. And he's not even that good, but it was like they've got nobody behind him that's going to be able to fill in, and they did not go out and add anybody else outside of Tom Compton. We know how that worked out with him being a starter for the entire season. And then the whole move Remmers to guard thing was a disaster, and uh, Pat Elfline didn't come back. You're having to trade for your starting day one center. I mean, it was just a complete mess on the offensive line at this same time last year, and we knew it. Right now, you've got all five starters are healthy and actually have mostly looked pretty good. Um, Elfline looks like he's fine moving to guard. It doesn't seem to be a problem, he, although he's not going up against Lidval Joseph yet uh, on a day-to-day no, but basis. I, I, on Monday's practice, uh, during one-on-ones, he was getting pushed back uh, several times. And I, and I just wonder how long it's going to take for him to really get comfortable at left guard um, we know he's athletic. We know he can do the things that are being asked of him. It's just that comfort, like the comfort level of that position. He hasn't played guard since college. So let's see here. Like, I mean, that the preseason when you're trying to evaluate offensive line play, I mean, yes, it's hard, but I don't, if, the, if, if Pat Elfline doesn't look good, then, then we're going to know, I think, pretty early on that they have an issue still on the interior. Yeah, I kind of think that offensive line play is something that you could get a really good feel on in those preseason games because these guys can't block half-assed. Like they have, no, you can't. They have and to I, block people. And they will, like, what I mean, it's like it's hard, like, big picture-wise. I mean, they're going to play a quarter together at least, you'd think, on, on Thursday, Friday, right? Like, that's what they did last year in... Denver, if I remember correctly, they played the entire first quarter before they started throwing reserves in. Yeah, and and we know that um, last year in the preseason games, you could tell there were problems right away. So that that's the question. If someone gets hurt, though, uh, how screwed? Well, um, can't be any worse than last year. Definitely can. Uh, so that's that's a plus. And I do think that they have more depth this year. Like, you know, Brett Jones can get you by for a game or two if Garrett Bradbury has to miss time. Um, I don't know about Dakota Dozier, to be quite honest. Um, I think Danny Isdora. Like, I really would probably rely on him more if any of your guard spots uh, became vacant for a week or two. But it is not a good sign that Drew Samia is in the spot that he's in right now. I mean, I wouldn't be saying, like, oh, it's a bad thing that he's, like, the you know third-string right guard. Like, it just based on numbers but he really shouldn't be just for the way that he was touted by this franchise when they drafted him and you know his college film looked really good um this is kind of concerning and they drafted him really to be a depth option and potentially to push Klein to that starting spot it just hasn't panned out so i'm worried about that spot uh for sure if i'm looking at this depth chart and wondering okay if somebody goes down how bleeped are you um tackles is number one thing you're bleeped on and then you know the guard depth um you really only have about one and a half options there so this one could go really bad for me because 
I was thinking um, exactly along the lines of, oh, they got a, a steal here. This was a guy that some people had as a second-round pick, okay, with Drew Samia. And so I called his college offensive line coach. I did an article about how Samia is part of Offensive Line University at Oklahoma, how they've pumped out all these NFL offensive linemen and just you know, got all these great quotes from the offensive line coach. Oh, he's got this mean streak, and he's this, he's that. And, uh, well, that one might blow up in my face, um, but it happens uh, to you a lot and me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that Treadwell feature this uh, camp? You're not, you're not doing that uh, one I that told time? you I only did one going into year three because the year three <laughs> myth for receivers clearly exists. Um, and also Michael Floyd, all eight of his catches or whatever, <laughs> after the 3,000 or 4,000 word profile that you did, you called everyone who's ever met Michael Floyd. <laughs> I sure did. It's just great. It's great when you put that much work into an article. You're like, wow, Michael Floyd, I just covered your entire life. I've just made these deep statements about what this could all mean, kombucha boy, and look what happened. <laughs> And look what happened. Yeah. You Wait, got who's, 10 who's catches. The next player, who's the next player I'm going to curse? Is that right? Oh, that's a good question. That is Careful definitely a good question. Yeah, Watch I know. me do one on Drew Samia, and then Drew Samia gets cut. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's, uh, if there's a player here. This, this goes to the storylines that we don't have, right, um, in terms of training camp. There isn't a player that you could do a big feature on and then – you know, you'd be saying, okay, this one could blow up in my face. The only guy I could think of, but but you would be couching it, would be Everson Griffin. Um, but Everson has looked like a monster in training camp, so yeah. I, I wouldn't bet against him because we're going to do the defensive line here before the break. And, I mean, in terms of the, um, you know, the depth chart, obviously he's the starter, but I think that would be the one. If you wrote the big Everson Griffin is back, everybody, he's dominating camp, and then that blew up in your face, that would potentially be the only guy I could really think of. Yeah, I mean, what? Nobody's going to be saying Riley Reese because nobody's trading for – they're not trading for Trent Williams, so enough uh, for like the 30th time. And they just don't have any options outside of Reese. So, I mean, the Everson thing – is not that's just not he's playing at a really good level right now and i do think that he like he looks really good so to me that's just like not even an option um trying to think they don't have any corners they can cut right now safeties they don't have anybody linebackers maybe but i don't think any of those would be like a surprising veteran cut like if it was like a Devonte downs or kentrell brothers uh anything like that but probably Oh man! But I, th- I think um, I think the concept would be: who would we be writing about? How they bounced back, or how they were going to have a great season, and then it totally fell apart on us. I think there are actually Linville Joseph potentially. I was thinking Xavier Rhodes, the other one, and this uh, this guy we have a good relationship with because he was on our first ever what used to be Purple Live and now Purple Daily Show. He was our first guest, Anthony Harris. But last year, he was so good and taking that Andrew Sandejo spot. But we don't know how it's going to look over 16 games. In general, if you're a defensive back and play for Mike Zimmer, you're going to play well, especially if you're next to Harrison Smith. But that would be the one. Anthony Harris, what a crazy rise from undrafted to here he is. And you could write a big, long story and then... 
you know, end up with uh, Duran Smith playing the position by week three or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, just just yeah. in terms of things that are totally possible, that goes under the category. I think. Um, but let's let's take a break though, and then we'll finish up on the defensive side because there are far fewer questions on the defensive side with this depth chart than there were on the offensive side. Naturally, the entire defense is basically back. So we'll take a quick break going through the Vikings' first depth chart. If you want to see the whole thing, go to Score North. Two, 2.47 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. Jonathan here with this hour's download. The Vikings released their unofficial depth chart, and that's what we've been talking about all hour here on Purple Daily, and we'll continue the analysis there. If you want to read Matthew Collar's analysis, head over to scorenorth.com where he has a breakdown of how that depth chart will look come the season officially kicking off. But this Friday, the preseason kicks off between the Minnesota Vikings and New Orleans Saints, and afterwards... For the first time ever, we're doing preseason vent line here on the station. You can join us right after the game. Call in, give your thoughts on that third wide receiver battle, the backup quarterback battle, how the offensive line looks, everything. We'll be here taking your calls until they stop coming in. Again, Vikings vent line coming back this Friday for preseason. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, one more segment with Courtney Cronin. She is out at the Vikings facility. Matthew Collar in our Hubbard studios here on Score North. Purple Daily, the show. Make sure you go to iTunes and download it every day. Two hours of football talk right into your brain uh, as we lead up to the preseason game. Also, one more thing to mention, and this is great. We are doing now preseason vent lines. Did you know this, Courtney, that we are doing a post-game show for preseason games because you people need football? No, I did not know that, but I think that since you and I are going to, I assume we're watching the game together on Friday since neither of us are going to New Orleans, I can't wait to tune in after that on my drive home um, and uh, listen in to see uh, what hot takes people have. Oh, it's it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Um, okay, so on the defensive side, fewer questions. We're looking at the unofficial depth chart. Um Linebackers, I have no questions. And please don't get me into whether Cameron Smith or Devontae Downs is making it because I just can't do that. I just don't have the energy now after we're, we're this far into to training camp. Uh, on the defensive line, I don't even think there are that many questions on the defensive line. Hercules Mata'afa is going to be the guy we laugh at ourselves five years from now and go, remember when people talked about that guy potentially winning a job? I, I, that's how I'm viewing him right now. I think it's pretty set in stone, the four starters, and then uh, the four backups right now being Afadi Adenabo, Jalen Holmes, Jaleel Johnson, Stephen Weatherly. I would be... Really surprised if Mata'afa made the team. I think Armin Watts at this point has a better chance if they want to keep nine defensive linemen. But if they were hoping for somebody to emerge and take away a job and totally surprise us and be the next John Randall, uh, sorry, no. I mean, I'm not going to completely give up on my Mr. Mankato pick just yet. Um, Mike Zimmer has said he's had an up-and-down camp. I think that's what you expect for an undersized three-technique tackle. I think that's what you Um, say when it's going bad. Don't you? You know, Armin Watts, though, he said the same thing, and I guess it's what you expect for a rookie, but Armin also has the advantage of being a massive human being and somebody that you would certainly want to keep around on the practice squad um, over a guy like Hercules Mata'afa. But 
let's just I'm not going to I'm going to pump the brakes on that there because they're going to probably keep nine defensive linemen, right? So you're saying right now that if it's Mata Afa over Watts, you're going Watts uh, for the ninth guy. I'm still willing to hedge my bets right now on August 6th uh, on Hercules Mata Afa just because he gives them a different look at that three technique spot. And I just don't know if Armin Watts is like polished enough to play it just yet. Yeah, I I agree. I think he's more of a backup nose tackle at the moment, but more of a guy that I wouldn't want to actually play. So, um, <laughs> what, what, I mean, we're gonna have to see them in games to get a better view of them. And then, you know, unlike practice, when you have a game, you can go back and watch it again. So you can, if you want to look at somebody specific, you go back, watch it a couple times, and see kind of what that specific player did. But I mean, I, I think Mata'afa or Watts is probably gonna really have to jump out and. The uh, the long shot here is probably Carter Schultz that might have a chance if neither Mata'afa or Armin Watts steps up. Um, and this could also be a situation where somebody else gets cut from another team who's a, a defensive tackle and they bring them in. And you know what? Nobody signed Tom Johnson, I'm just saying. Um, I know. I know he's still out there. He's, what, 34, 35 years old. Come back. Um, come back, Tom. He's your best friend. It's fine. Um, <laughs> don't. I mean, he came back for week three last year, so don't be surprised if if they do that again this year. Um, the numbers game wise here, I think it helps that Deshaun Bauer has. You know, we don't know when he's coming back. Mike Zimmer wouldn't rule it out that he played this year, but he does have an Achilles tear, so I'm just like really concerned about like thinking he could play. But you know, he was he was my he was going to be the guy that I cut uh, this year just because I wasn't sold on him from his first two seasons um, in this defense at def- at left end. So I mean, there's reason for me to believe that you know a guy like like you mentioned a guy like Adair Aruna could he possibly if they decide that they need more uh, depth at defensive end like is he you know he's coming off the injury too but is he polished enough to play the position? This kind of reminds me of tackle a little bit because Stephen Weatherly, um, there's a reason they didn't think he should be a full-time starter just yet um, and brought back Everson Griffin. And if Adi Odenabo is young and he you know, has been cut every year at cut-down day and they clearly see some upside there. So, but can he, get, what kind of, what, what are you going to get out of him in games? So there's still some questions to me with the depth on the defensive end spots, but Jalen Holmes has looked good. Jaleel Johnson, you know you're going to get a rotational guy who can play both nose and three-tack. Um, it's just like keeping that one more spot. Like, what do you want? Do you want it to be an end, or do you want it to be tackle? Yeah, and I think the unfortunate part of this position, like uh, the offensive line, I think you're less bleeped than you would have been last year. Um, the defensive line, I think you're super bleeped if Linval Joseph doesn't come back soon. And I think that you're kind of in a tough spot if any of the defensive ends get hurt. Even though Stephen Weatherly is a guy that um, you should like because he's played pretty well, if Daniil Hunter or Everson Griffin goes down, we saw that there was a, a serious impact last year on, on that one side 
um, on the right side with Everson Griffin going out, and I think that that would happen again. I think Weatherly can be maybe even a starter in the league, but not a Pro Bowl player like uh, Everson Griffin is. And I, I don't know what they have in Jalen Holmes. He's been injured at times during this training camp, and he's going to have to show a whole lot more. There just isn't a whole lot of depth here, and if there are injuries, I think this could be problematic. I know the Pro Football Focus put the Vikings defensive line basically mid-pack, in the NFL, which I think tells you a little bit about how good defensive lines have gotten around the league, but it also tells you that, you know, I mean, with Linval kind of on the other side of his prime, with no Tom Johnson here, it makes a difference. He's a good player. Um, no Sheldon Richardson here. It's that That has gone from an extreme strength to I'm very confident in one player, basically, in, in Daniil Hunter. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's quick. It's amazing how quick uh, the tide shifted there, even though we really should have expected it, uh, because you're saying you're getting guys on the other side of 30 on the other side of their primes. Um, and Shamar Stefan, for as much as certain people like to tout him as being the reason this whole thing works, um, I just it, that that's not an upgrade at your te- at your three tech spot. It's just not so. Daniil Hunter is going to be drawing a lot of double teams this year, and it's going to be crucial that Everson Griffin can play back at the level he was at in 2017 to kind of counterbalance that. Um, and also hoping that ever, that Linville Joseph is able to come back in camp at some point off this uh, upper body surgery to push the pocket to, to try to get that interior pass rush going because you know, who knows? Uh, I mean, they can stop the run, sure, but can Shamar Stefan and Linville Joseph next to them, can they push the pocket? I don't know. Like, I don't know how effective that's going to be because um, we haven't seen Linville out there yet. And, I mean, the guy playing next to him, I mean, they still need to affect the quarterback from that spot regardless of whether you're better as a run stopper or a pass rusher. Okay, last one here, the secondary. I think the safeties are pretty much all set. Um, I don't think there's there's really only a competition between Deron Smith and Marcus Epps to who makes the fourth safety. Um, so not super concerned about that. But before we wrap up for the hour, Courtney, um, who is interesting to you from the cornerback group? Because Mike Hughes not on the practice field yet. That tells me that week one is a long shot at this point. It might be the same with Elfline where it's four weeks. So is there anybody else? Are you intrigued by Benet Benwickery, the guy that they uh, brought in as a free agent who's played for a couple of different teams? Because, I, I mean, Chris Boyd is, has looked decent out on the uh, practice field. But aside from that, though, I mean, it doesn't look good depth here either. No, the depth here is not great, and we knew that um, with all the injuries that they had in Holton Hill suspension. Um, he's listed as the last cornerback on this on the, at the under the right cornerback slot behind Xavier Rhodes. Um, maybe this is the reason that Mike Zimmer was singing Mackenzie Alexander's praises so much because he knows that he cannot get hurt this year. He needs him. Uh, badly. And I mean, granted, they're in nickel so much, so he's going to be playing a ton. But outside of that, like, where do you expect Craig James to play? Like, where, where would he be situated on the depth chart? Um, you know, either as an outside corner or in the slot. I mean, they need to figure out really quickly getting McKenzie a backup. Um, and who's going to play, who's going to play that role. But he's, he or Chris Boyd are probably the ones that I'm most intrigued by. I just don't know enough about Benet yet. Um, I know that he got torched by Julio Jones uh, last year, and, you know, he's played for a bunch of different teams, so that experience is there. But I think that, 
you know, this is the position on the defense that should give you most pause just because of the injury concerns and not knowing when guys are going to come back. Like, Mike Hughes, as he said, might be one of those situations where he doesn't start on the preseason or on the pup list and he ends up, like, coming, you know, coming back and they give him a roster spot and he comes back week four or five because uh, he hasn't been even running at full speed yet. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, he seems like he's a long way away uh, from my eye. All right, uh, Courtney, thank you for your time. Appreciate you dialing up the face uh, time there from the football facility. And we will uh, talk again soon. You're going to be in on Friday to preview on Friday. The, the preseason game. It's going to be hardcore preseason game preview for you people. Um, and then Friday night they'll play, and we'll have Ventline here as well. So we'll uh, take a quick break. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune is going to join me next to talk about his piece on Irv Smith and what the outlook is for Irv Smith this year. We will be back. You are listening. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. At The Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home. Or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.